Welcome to EHS on Tap. I'm your host, Jay Kumar, Editor-in-Chief of EHS Daily Advisor. This week, I talked to Todd Van Houten, Senior Director of Strategy and Innovation at Cintas First Aid and Safety, about updated requirements for first aid kits. And now, on to the interview. I'm joined today by Todd Van Houten, First Aid Product Group Chair for the International Safety Equipment Association. Welcome, Todd. Uh, thank you. Great to be here. Great to have you. And before we, uh, we we're going to talk about the uh, the new first aid kit standard. But uh, before we do that, I was wondering if you could tell me a little bit about yourself and the ISEA. Sure. So uh, my role is a senior director of strategy and innovation for CentOS. And uh, when when I talk to other people about CentOS, a lot of times they say that sounds familiar. And then I say, have you have you seen our trucks around? And and then it, and then it yeah. clicks. So uh, CentOS is uh, our, our our purpose is ready for the workday, getting businesses ready for the workday, and um, particularly from my division, which is the first aid and safety division. Um, we're focused on readiness when it comes to safety, all things safety. And uh, our, our foundational focus really comes down to a one simple question, which is what is more important to a business than the health and safety of, of their employees? And so our mission is to save lives and, and keep people safe. And uh, that's, that's what we do every day. As far as the, as far as the ISEA, uh, ICA stands for International Safety Equipment Association and uh, it is the, the association for all things safety equipment and safety technologies. And so ISCA is a, a, a go-to resource for PPE standards for safety industry research and, and insights. Um, and in particular, ISCA is, is one of the recognized uh, leaders in development of ANSI uh, accredited safety equipment standards. Uh, one of which we're gonna talk about today, which is the new first aid standard, but that's that's one of of many. So CentOS, my company is an ISEA member and we serve on multiple uh, different product groups that work to develop and enhance and revise these performance standards. And um, really all, all ISEA members are united together in, in the goal of protecting the health and safety of, of people around the world. Excellent. Well, yeah, let's talk about that new, uh, the new first aid kit standard. Um, it's when, when did it happen and what does it mean for workplace safety? Yeah, so the, the standard has been around for a long time, since 1978. So this uh, the standard goes back almost 45 years. But the revision that just took place uh, was published in 2021 and effective in 2022. So the effective date was just this past fall. So, so still quite, uh, quite recent. And there was a, there was a number of changes uh, in this revision of the standard, which, which we'll talk through. But First, let me just uh, talk about the purpose of the standard overall and and why it exists. So, uh, so this is ANSI Z three hundred eight point one minimum requirements for workplace first aid kits and supplies. and And the purpose of the standard is to ensure that the items that are needed, the first aid supplies that are needed, to treat the most common types of injuries in the workplace, are readily accessible and available. So it's it's not a, a standard that applies to healthcare settings. It's not for for, for hospitals or clinics. It's for the workplace, uh, and in particular for supplies that are needed for workers while waiting on paramedics to arrive or professional medical services to arrive. Um, you know, a good comparison would be with uh, well, there's a lot of awareness about AEDs and, and CPR recently mm-hmm. um, with the uh, the events with Demar Hamlin and his. Um, uh, his his rescue on live TV using CPR and an AED from sudden cardiac arrest, and so 
very similar idea applies where if a, if a business is going to uh, wait on an ambulance, in, in this example of sudden cardiac arrest, that's a really dangerous thing to do because each minute that goes by, the, the chance of survival decreases. Right. So having an AED and CPR on site is, is critical. This standard isn't about AEDs or CPR training, but first aid supplies are, are really similar. So uh, especially if you think of a severe potential injury in a workplace, like a, uh, like a, a severe a bleed, an arterial bleed, or uh, uh, an amputation, or, or even a, a workplace shooting, um, the, the, the need to stop the flow of blood quickly while waiting for an ambulance is, is really critical. Every minute counts, really every second counts. And, um, and so this standard is, it's about helping in those severe situations, but it's also for treating minor injuries, uh, whether it's just a cut or a contusion in a, in a way that's safe, that's effective, and that's, that's sanitary for, for employees. Um, and how did the, uh, the revised standard get developed? Why were the changes made? Yeah, so the, the standard I mentioned was first published in 1978, and it's gone through six revision cycles uh, since that time. So uh, the last revision prior to this was published in 2015. And so our group started meeting uh, a few years back uh, in 2019. Uh, we had a diverse group of, of members involved in, um, uh, in the standard review. We had some partner organizations like the American Red Cross, uh, National Safety Council, resources from the ISEA directly, uh, and uh, and partners who are in the uh, in the industry, and so we we took an approach of uh, conducting user research and getting feedback through surveys of uh, those who used our standard. Uh, what did they What did they think about it? What questions did they have? Uh, what What would the users of the standard like to see improved, enhanced, clarified in the next revision? And so we got some really good feedback through that effort and a lot of the feedback aligned with some of the discussion that we had already had as, as a group. And so ultimately we broke our work down into four main categories that we focused on. Uh, so the first one was bleeding control and tourniquets in particular. Uh, the second one was uh, international standards review. So, so doing benchmarking with other first aid kit workplace standards across the world. Uh, the third one was evaluating pandemic impact uh, to first aid kits and supplies. We were working on this uh, revision through the course of the, the pandemic 2020 and 2021 is when the bulk of our work was done. So that was top of mind. Um, and then the final area was uh, additional resources that we could provide to users of the standard, things like workplace hazard assessment resources. All of that feeds into the, uh, the, the appendices in the standard. And, and we, we invested a lot of time and, and research and resources into building those out uh, because one of the main areas of feedback that we heard from users of the standard was uh, there wasn't enough guidance on how to apply it to my workplace. Every workplace is unique and different, different layout, different hazards, different uh, employee base. And so uh, we, we put more effort into, into those resources, even though they're um, you know, appendices, I actually think the value that they provide is just as strong as the main uh, body of the standard itself. Uh, and, you know, I guess what were the specific changes um, that were that are now in the new version of the standard? Yeah, well, yeah, so let's talk about the, the workplace hazard assessments and some of the resources in the, uh, the appendices. Uh, and then we could talk about the supplies themselves. Sure. 
so so with the appendices uh, one of the one of the biggest changes was just providing a workplace workplace hazard assessment template, and it's it's really fairly straightforward. So there's three steps involved. Any employer could do this. So step one is to do a thorough evaluation of the hazards in the workplace. So what what are the hazards that exist that could uh, potentially lead to an injury? So so let's say a hazard is uh, uh, a certain chemical that employees interact with that could splash on the on the scanner face if PPE fails or something like that. So that's a hazard. So that's step one. Step two is evaluate the injuries that could occur from that that hazard. So in this case, maybe it's a burn to skin or another reaction or getting into the eyes, which would require eye wash. So the hazard and then the injury that could occur. And then finally, what are the first aid supplies that would be needed to deal with those injuries? And so in this case, it might be uh, eye wash or saline flush or burn treatment or triple antibiotic, et cetera. Um, so really a simple process, but to do that thoroughly and evaluate every hazard that exists in a business um, can be quite a process depending on how complex the environment is in that business. But um, but that's, that's the essential uh, workplace hazard assessment outline uh, that we provide in the standard. Once an employer goes through that, which really helps determine what types of first aid supplies should we have, the next question is, where should we put those supplies in our building and where should they be located? So the focus that uh, that we put was on proximity to where people work and to where an injury could happen and making sure that supplies are close. Uh, same idea we talked about before of the, the importance of getting treatment to somebody as quickly as possible. Mm -hmm. um, if you've got an employee out in the shipping receiving dock and the first aid kit is up in the office and it takes, uh, you know, 10 minutes to walk or even run from the shipping receiving department to the office and then back again to get to that injured employee, it doesn't matter how many supplies you have. They're not, they're not close enough. They're not, they're not in close enough proximity. So, right. so we recommend, you know, two, three, four minute, uh, round trip proximity to anywhere in the workplace, uh, to get supplies, uh, to an injured worker. So that's that's a major consideration. Uh, and, and then there's other guidance around thinking of other business conditions like mobile workforce. Uh, is, there a, is there an employee uh, base that's in the field that's that's driving fleet vehicles, that's that's out doing you know, field technical work or whatever the case may be and, and ensuring that there's uh, mobile first aid kits or vehicle first aid kits available. Uh, considering supplemental supplies or, or seasonal supplies. So if there's a, a working environment where there's uh, some employees that uh, are diabetic, for example, considering having uh, glucose, emergency glucose in first aid cabinets. It's not a required product uh, on the minimum requirements list, uh, but certainly uh, if there's a, a chance for uh, an emergency with, uh, with, uh, with a diabetic, having emergency glucose available makes sense. Um, so, so those all relate to what are the supplies we should have? Where should they be located? And then some of the other areas that are addressed are how do we maintain our first aid kits? So what does ongoing maintenance look like? Uh, how often should first aid kits be checked? And we, we recommend at least monthly, but also anytime that there's a use of the first aid kit to treat an emergency situation. Uh, pretty common sense things like making sure there's no expired products. Mm -hmm making sure all the products that are required to be in the kit are still in the kit or in each one. Um, and then one other thing that, uh, that we added was the recommendation to disinfect the surfaces of a first aid kit on a regular basis. So 
most first aid kits and businesses are wall mounted and they're made right. of either metal with shelves or plastic. And when you think about the first aid kit, when people are going to it, they're either bleeding uh, or <laughs> yeah. maybe they're sick, right? And yeah, they're yeah. grabbing some ibuprofen. So that's not a that's not a surface that you want to no. leave unsanitized <laughs> for a long time, right? So, uh, so I think that's a pretty common sense recommendation as well. So a lot of great details in there, uh, but that's that's a high level summary of the hazard assessment. Um, I think one, your your second question was on the supplies that changed. Yeah, well, actually, before we get to that, I was wondering: is there a guidance in terms of how many first aid kits you should have, like depending on the size of your business? Yes. Yeah. And that, that really relates back to proximity. Uh, and, and this is, this is a good, a good point to talk about because if you look online for first aid kits, there's a good chance you'll see kits that are marketed for 50 pe people or a hundred people. Like it's, it's, it's called a 200 person first aid kit. And, uh, our group doesn't really recognize, uh, that approach because uh, there's not any kind of justifiable logic behind how many people a particular first aid kit can support. I mean, as soon as it's opened and anything is, is used, how many people is it supporting now, right? The, the more important thing is first aid supplies are close to the people who need them. So a good comparison would be with fire extinguishers. Right, so the, the fire extinguisher regulations uh, from NFPA 10 talk about proximity and you've got to be able to get a fire extinguisher to uh, any area of the building within a certain distance. And I think looking at first aid the same way is, is, is helpful. So making sure that from any point in a, in a facility where you have people working, that you can get there and back from a first aid kit within a couple of minutes. That's that's really the key. All right, that makes sense. Um, so let's talk about the uh, the supplies in the, that are supposed to be in the kit. Yeah, so there's a there's a list of minimum required uh, items and for the most part that that stayed unchanged from uh, the prior standard to to the new revision. Uh, but there are two products that that had some changes. One that's a new required item and one that underwent a change in definition. So the first one is, uh, and the most important, uh, in, in my opinion, is the tourniquet. So in 2015, uh, in that revision, uh, the, the tourniquet was listed as a required item for the first time in the ANSI standard. Uh, the, the challenge, though, that we found, as we discussed as a group, was that the technical or specification requirements for the tourniquet were not defined well. And so the type of tourniquet that ended up in most first aid kits was kind of like a blood draw band style. You know, if you go to get blood taken and they wrap that kind of blue, like thin rubber band around your arm to get a, a vein to, to pop out. Mm -hmm. uh, that's, that's the kind of tourniquet that we're in, that was in most first aid kits. And technically, yes, it's a tourniquet, but it's not a tourniquet that was designed to save a life, uh, that was designed to, to get full occlusion. And, and occlusion basically means the, you know, the stopping of blood flow to, right. to an arm or to a leg. So, uh, so one of our main missions with, with this revision was to make sure we had a better definition of the tourniquet to ensure that it could save a life in the event of a severe arterial bleed or uh, an amputa amputation or partial amputation. So 
So we, we talked a lot and, and we, we did research on what the best way would be to define a, a, a tourniquet. And we made an intentional decision not to focus too much on specification details that would prohibit new technologies. So as an example, most tourniquets that are con you know, considered you know, a tactical tourniquet um, or combat tourniquets, uh, they use a windlass. And, and the windlass is the name of the uh, kind of like the stick that you turn. Mm -hmm. um, it, like if you, if you, if you uh, create an improvised tourniquet in the field and use cloth and, and an actual stick and you turn it, like, you know, that's, that's, that's the, the part of the tourniquet on most tactical style tourniquets that uh, makes it really, really tight. Usually it's either metal or plastic. However, there are other styles of tourniquets that are effective at stopping blood flow. Uh, there's a new uh, device that uses a ratchet instead of a windlass. Hmm. Uh, there's a there's a self-wrapping tourniquet that's out there um, that, that can work as well. And, and we're also open to the fact that there could be new technologies, new innovations, new inventions. And so rather than require something like a windlass or something very technical like that, we focused on the performance requirement. And so, so the performance requirement in the standard is that the tourniquet will bring occlusion, stop the flow of blood within 90 seconds or less. Because at the end of the day, that's what's most important. That's what saves right. a life. Uh, the, the only other change in definition was for the strap to be at least one and a half uh, inches in width. Uh, and, and the reason behind that is just to make sure the distinction was very, very clear between the blood draw band tourniquets that were in a lot of kits previously that are generally an inch or a half inch thick and uh, remove all doubt that those are not acceptable as a, as a life-saving tourniquet. Mm. So um, that was the main change with the tourniquet. Okay. Any other and there was uh, one, supply changes? Yeah, there was one other uh, newly required product. And, and this came from our uh, research of international standards. So I, I mentioned that we, uh, we, we did research of, and review of, of standards in different parts of the world. And we cross-referenced uh, uh, required first aid supplies and also just the content of the standard to benchmark. Uh, we looked at uh, European standard, uh, one from the UAE, the United Arab Emirates. Uh, we looked at the CSA Canada standard, and there's also some other provincial uh, legacy standards in Canada, one from uh, Australia. You get the idea. And we, uh, we, we did one, a large cross-reference study, and one of the products that we had been discussing, including as a required item, uh, that we found was required in just about every international standard was an emergency uh, mylar blanket or emergency silver blanket. And so that's the, the new first aid uh, supply that's, that's required in this standard. And uh, the reason behind it is uh, an emergency blanket is all about uh, preventing uh, body heat loss mm -hmm. uh, for someone who's experienced a, a traumatic injury. Uh, it's not necessarily meant for cold weather, although it could be used in cold weather, um, but, uh, but for uh, a lot of uh, severe trauma incidents like an amputation or a, or a stroke or severe concussion, uh, standard first aid response includes the use of an emergency blanket. And so it just made sense for that to be a, a required supply and, and especially um, considering it was a uh, standard in most, uh, international requirements as well. So is it kind of like the one they give out, uh, at the finish of a marathon where the runners, uh, get one when they cross the finish line? 
that's the one. That's okay. the one. Yeah, the kind yeah. of reflective silver yep. silver blanket. Yep. That is it. All right. Um, so what can workplaces do right now to ensure that their first aid kits comply with this uh, the new revision? Yeah, so I, I like to think of it in, in three steps. So assess, execute, and maintain. Those, those three things. So assess would be reviewing the new standard from start to finish, uh, using the resources in the appendices, so completing the hazard assessment, not just following the minimum list of required items, but really looking at your business and your workplace and thinking about what, what applies to you. So you now, before I mentioned glucose, if you have any diabetics in the workplace, mm -hmm. if you if you have, uh, let's say, woodworking, you probably have a high chance of splinters, so you probably need a splinter remover product that's not required, but it's something that makes sense for your business. So really, really taking the assessment uh, from a personalized view of your business and not just uh, trying to follow uh, just a published simple list. So, so assess number one, uh, then number two would be execute, and that would be based on your assessment, ensure that your current cabinets are sufficient, that you have enough, that they're in the right locations, and that they're brought up to standard. And uh, if they don't necessarily need to be replaced, um, products can be added or supplemented to existing cabinets. But sometimes if they're in rough shape or everything's expired, it might just make more sense to replace them either, either way, but but execute on the assessment. And then the third part, and, and really this is the maybe the most important and, and the one that uh, can be forgotten the most often is maintain. If, if, a, if a business puts a lot of effort into a great assessment and great execution on first aid kit supplies, but then there's not a plan to maintain it. It doesn't mean very much when there's an injury six months later or a year later, right? So, so maintaining is simply having a plan for how kits will be restocked, uh, cleaned, checked for expired product. Uh, that could be through a, a provider that comes on site to do it. That could be internally, but at the end of the day, the important thing is ensuring cabinets and supplies are always in a state of readiness readiness to respond for any emergency that comes up. Is there any guidance in terms of requiring companies to let, you know, employees know like where the first aid kit is, what's in it, what they, how to use the stuff that's in it? That's such a good question because the supplies don't do any good if people don't know that they're there and right. they don't know how to use them. Yeah. So, so even though training is, not in the scope of our standard. We we talked about training constantly. And um, what's interesting is the OSHA regulation that addresses first aid supplies, which is 1910.151, that's the industry standard CFR. That same paragraph that addresses first aid supplies addresses training. Okay. Same same paragraph. So, so, so yes, OSHA does require, um, uh, with maybe an unusual exception. Otherwise, they, they require that uh, persons are trained in administering first aid and that the supplies are readily accessible. So uh, the importance of training just, just can't be overstated, it, especially thinking about tourniquets or bleeding control. Um, uh, yeah, I think most people who have a tourniquet handed to them would have no idea right. how to open it, unwrap it, put it on somebody's arm or leg and then actually make sure it's tight enough to stop blood flow. Same thing applies to CPR and treating other, other types of wounds. So, so yeah, I'm really glad you brought that up. The training is, is, is everything uh, to, uh, to make sure that the first aid supplies actually can do what they need to do. Well, Todd, 
thank you so much for uh, laying this all out for me. This is a great explanation of, uh, of this uh, first aid kit uh, revised standard. Yeah, real pleasure to, to do so. Great, great to talk with you. And uh, yeah, I appreciate the, uh, the invitation. All right. Thank you. All right. Thanks so much. That wraps up episode 151 of EHS on tap. You can find more information about the show and listen to on-demand episodes at ehsdailyadvisor.blr.com. You can subscribe to the show wherever you get podcasts. Thanks for listening, and I hope you join me next time.